Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. Good afternoon. I'm Ewan Potts. Optimism is in the air. A sunny bank holiday weekend, wasn't it? Glorious. And the vaccine rollout continues. The pound is at record levels as traders bet that the UK's economic recovery will continue to gain traction. And based on the current pace of inoculations, three quarters of the UK population will be covered with a two-dose vaccine within a month. That's according to data collected by Bloomberg and John Hopkins University. But there is growing pressure from senior scientists to postpone the June the 21st full reopening of the economy in England. It's all over concerns about a third virus wave because evidence is growing. The variant that originated in India is surging in the UK. And one of the leading government advisers, Professor Ravi Gupta, who's a member of the new and emerging respiratory virus threats advisory group, NerveTag, said he was in the grip, or he said the country was in the grip of early third wave of COVID-19 infections. And for the government, asked whether business should prepare for a delay to the unlocking of all remaining restrictions, which is due on June 21st, the Environment Secretary George Eustace reiterated that the government could not rule out a delay. Business leaders, though, a warning of the harmful impact of any changes, especially in the hospitality industry. So with that final unlocking less than three weeks away now, should we take a pause in the timetable? Let's discuss this and plenty more besides with Steve McCabe, Labour Member of Parliament for Birmingham, Selio. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, Steve. With all the priority groups now vaccinated, shouldn't the government uh, ease the restrictions and the curbs uh, as soon as possible? Well, I think that's the government's uh, dilemma now. Uh, Obviously, as you say, the weather's good, uh, some decent economic news, but uh, people are worried about how much longer the economy, parts of the economy can remain locked down. And the government has to balance that risk with what would happen if they open up and then have to close down again. So in that situation, I suppose, uh, where do you work? How do you balance it? If you were uh, in this at this moment, Steve, in Downing Street, what would you be saying? Well, I think I'd probably have to say what the government has been telling us all along. We have to look at the data and listen to the scientists, it was a bit uh, worrying to hear uh, Professor Gupta, who you referred to earlier, advising that he thought there was a real risk of a a, a third wave. And, you know, we have seen what's happened uh, in this country and indeed in other countries previously. uh, If that sort of thing develops, it can overwhelm the, the health service in parts of the country. And it seems to happen very rapidly. So, you know, you can't ignore the science or the data, however much you wish for a better future. 
There's plenty of economic around, uh, plenty of uh, good cheer around on the economic front at the moment with the OECD saying that the UK will grow by 7% this year. Is there anything on the uh, on the economic front which you'd like to see from the government? Or are you broadly supportive of the measures they're taking at the moment? Well, I mean, I think, you know, any good news on the economy should be welcomed. Uh, so I'm as pleased to hear it as anyone else. I think the, the two things that we... We need to know a bit more about are what exactly will happen when uh, furlough ends. I think we, you know, we're not quite sure uh, how that will occur and what the impact will be. Uh, and obviously, there's a lot of concern about what's happened in the hospitality sector and the creative industries and whether or not they will be able uh, to recover in the way that people are hoping uh, and predicting. Steve, I mean, we're going to be talking to uh, UK Hospitality, in fact, in the next part of the programme, so I'm sure we'll get some sense of that. What about people in your constituency? I mean, if you went to them and said, look, you know, June the 21st is in the diaries, but actually, because of the risks, it's going to be postponed. I mean, a lot of them are going to say that's, that's going to be it for us, for our businesses. They'll be tearing their hair out, wouldn't they? Yeah, as I say, I think that is the real dilemma for the government. You know, people have been tolerant, they've been patient, but uh, I think there are signs that some small businesses in particular can't really uh, afford any further delays. Uh, you know, I think people are pretty near the edge. So you can see the enormous pressure to try and get on with this, but as I say, it has to be balanced against... It, it would be kind of crazy for a government to do it because of those pressures if it knew that a third wave was literally around the corner. Do you, um, looking back over the past year, I think even Conservatives would admit that it's been a, a difficult year and the government hasn't always been as prepared as it as it might have been. Uh, are you surprised that Labour isn't doing better at the moment than, than those things would, would suggest? Yeah, I don't know that I am really. I, I'm not sure the country, the public, want an opposition at the moment. I think what they want is the government to succeed to get them out of this uh, predicament uh, and to you know, lead them to, to a better place. So, I mean, I, think, I, I don't think the, the, the public mood is really for opposition at the moment. It's for giving the government the benefit of the doubt uh, and letting them succeed. It will be interesting at some point in the future when people start to look at it with you know the benefit of some distance whether that mood persists well it's very interesting you say that the, the country doesn't really want an opposition at the moment steve i mean do you think that uh, keir starmer is doing the kind of thing that you think he should be doing i mean certainly uh, been oppositional in terms of, for example, the number of deaths in care homes. He's he, he certainly uh, shone lights into areas where the government uh, he thinks isn't doing well. I mean, that does sound oppositional. Yes, but I think he said at the outset he wanted to try and provide a, a kind of constructive opposition. So quite right to you know shine a light on things that. Uh, <laughs> don't seem right, things that seem questionable. But, of course, on big decisions, uh, he, he hasn't uh, sought to frustrate the government. He's broadly supported the, the big decisions and tried to be reasonably constructive about his approach. I, I think it, 
you know, it's frustrating for people who'd like to see Labour do better. But I think, if I'm honest, I think it's a possibly about the best we can do at the moment. Is Keir Starmer doing a good job? I think he's doing a good job in extremely difficult circumstances. You know, all the things that people know. A leader who, I think until uh, last week, had never made any kind of statement uh, to a, a bigger public than about half a dozen people. Uh, a, a man who hasn't really had the opportunities for the public to get to know him at a time when the the Prime Minister and other leading members of the government are never off the, the television. So, I mean, I think he's, he's battling some very strong incumbency uh, in a situation where he's still got to really make himself known to the public. Steve, let me move you on to something very different, which I know is is a growing is an area of interest for you, which is, of course, Israel. You are uh, prominent uh, as a supporter of Israel, of course, over a long period, uh, but also someone who takes a great deal of interest in what's going on. And as you know, at the moment, Israel is at a kind of political turning point, potentially at least, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu potentially not being the next prime minister, but a, a coalition that has a lot of contradictions in it. Do you think this is a good move for the for Israel? Is this going to help Israel to change the people at the top? I mean, it's, it's very difficult to judge how that coalition might work out, but I think there possibly is a growing feeling uh, in Israel that Mr Netanyahu has, I mean, what is it, 12 years or so at the top, has had his time and maybe there does need to be some kind of Change. So I think that, that I think there is a bit of an appetite for change in Israel itself, um, and of course we don't know um, how Mr. Um, uh, Bennett would turn out as the the new prime minister. Uh, he he was at one stage almost a, a protege of Mr. Netanyahu, but of course the the parted and. Uh, he, he is. He, he appears to be very much his own man, um, but I, I think after the the recent conflict and ceasefire, I really think that it's not enough to just go back to where we were over issues in Israel and the Middle East generally. And personally, I think there does need to be a renewed peace initiative. Uh, now, some people will think Mr. Bennett may be a strange choice given his kind of, you know, rightward leanings. But, of course, it took uh, Menahem Begin to uh, to deliver the, the peace treaty with Egypt. So, you know, uh, it, it isn't always the case that the, the person who can move things on is the person you might expect. It's, it's pretty early days, really, to work out how this government is going to address the situation there. But how, how, what should the UK do to help? What, how, what should our approach be to the new Israeli government when, when it comes? Well, I mean, I, I think that the two things that the UK uh, could do well are, I, I mean, I think we should uh, try to establish good and solid working relationships with that government. I think Israel... Um, is a country that should be regarded as an ally in the the Middle East. And, but I hope that the UK will also join with the United States in supporting this idea of an international peace and reconciliation fund because, Steve. you know, that's exactly uh, what's needed to bring ordinary 
Israelis and Arabs and Palestinians together. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. There's a campaign to protect shop workers from verbal and physical abuse, and it's going to be debated in Parliament today. A recent survey by the British Retail Consortium showed the number of incidents increased by almost 10% in the year to April 2020, with 455 each day. The petition's calling for legislation which will give workers better rights, and it's been signed by more than 100,000 people and backed by major retailers and trade bodies. The SNP's Joanna Cherry has resigned from the party's National Executive Committee. In a statement on Twitter, the Edinburgh South West MP says she's been prevented from improving transparency and scrutiny. Her decision follows the resignation of Douglas Chapman as the party's National Treasurer just two days ago. Chapman, MP for Dunfermline and West Fife, said he was not given enough information to do the job. The committee is responsible for keeping the SNP's finances in check. Now, Heathrow Airport's opening a dedicated terminal today to handle arrivals from so-called red list countries. There are 43 countries on the red list, but direct flights are permitted from only a few of them, including India. Under the government's international travel rules, only UK and Irish citizens are allowed to arrive in England from those nations and must go straight to hotel quarantine. It's hoped the facility in Terminal 3 will help ease queues for those coming from elsewhere. And hundreds of thousands of tenants in Britain face being kicked out of their homes when a ban on evictions put in place to protect tenants during the coronavirus lifts today. An estimated 400,000 tenants have either been served an eviction notice or told they could be, according to research published by the Joseph Roundtree Foundation. The foundation's uh, economist, chief economist joined me earlier on Bloomberg Radio and warned of an uptick in homelessness. The moment temporary accommodation is fairly full, local authorities are struggling to sort of bring on more, um, and we also don't have enough social housing um, here in England, uh, which means that there's, us, you know, if you get evicted from the private rental sector, there's almost nowhere to go. The government says tenants will still be supported with longer notice periods, but the time is right for these temporary measures to be lifted. Right, now it's been a bumper bank holiday weekend for pubs and restaurants and hotels and all of us too. It's been a weekend that was sorely needed for the UK hospitality sector, which has been badly damaged by the lockdown. So how did it go? Well, let's talk now to Kate Nichols, Chief Executive UK Hospitality. Kate, thanks for being with us and welcome to the programme. We'll talk about what goes next but in a moment. But first, was it a good weekend for the sector? It was a very positive weekend for the sector. We were undoubtedly helped by the weather and the fact that this is the first holiday uh, period where schools are on holiday. We've had a bank holiday. But but let's not forget that 25% of the sector remains closed. And for those businesses that were open, even if they were busy or full, they weren't trading at capacity and they weren't trading at a profitable level. So they were still losing money. So the sector is, is, is positive that there's a demand. It's positive that we're able to bring back most of the sector to life. But it is still a sector that is on life support until we get those restrictions lifted that, that's that's quite something you say that 25 percent is still closed what, what why is that 
Well, there's a, a proportion of those that are closed by legislation, nightclubs, um, event venues, music venues, uh, and also there's a proportion that just can't operate with social distancing in place. So some of our very small cafes, pubs, bars, restaurants can't function, they don't have the space. Um, and then you've got further venues, weddings um, in particular, where until social distancing is lifted, until the caps on the numbers are lifted, people just aren't returning and booking their weddings in. So for a vast swathe of the sector, that means that they are still unable to trade at all. They've got no revenue um, and, and they have are, are the venues that are most at risk if restrictions continue. And there's another difficulty, which I know you've highlighted before, indeed you've spoken to us about it, which is to do with the lack of staff, a big shortage in terms of people who, who either have the skills or are willing to work in these situations. Uh, we do have staff shortages. That's because you've got 75% of the sector opening at once and, and moving into a full holiday period without being able to gear up. So that causes a short-term acute shortage. We estimate that there are about 180,000 staff vacancies across hospitality at the moment. That's not preventing people from opening, and, or nor is it unduly restricting trade. But as we move forward, it will cause that problem uh, unless we can staff up fully. Are you seeing any signs of um, wage pressures yet? The US, which is often ahead of ahead of us on so many things, uh, a lot of hospitality industries have been really hiking wages quite dramatically. McDonald's pushed through a big, a big, a big hike in their uh, hourly pay. Uh, are you seeing your members increasing pay to attract more people? We are seeing wage rate inflation coming through in the sector after being closed without trading for about 16 months. That's more to do with the fact that you've got two levels of of national minimum wage increases going in that that workers missed out on because of the furlough rules. So April last year, April this year, you have a national minimum wage, national living wage increase, which pushes wages up above that for supervisory levels where you've got differentials to be maintained. So we are seeing a natural wage rate inflation, which appears higher because it's um, after a prolonged period of time. And clearly in those parts of the country where labour shortages are particularly acute, the southwest, parts of Scotland, London, where the tourism industry is an intensive labour provider and an intensive employer, there we are seeing above market wages uh, coming through. So, so it's small at the moment, but wage rate inflation, cost price inflation coming through to hit the sector as well. So we've got this perfect storm brewing at the moment until we can get these businesses trading at a profitable level, trading above break even. However many good bank holiday weekends we have, it's not going to repair the damage done from 16 months of closure restrictions and lost bank holiday trading. Uh, you also need people who, who have skills. You need people who are trained, who know what they're doing. And an awful lot of the um, foreign uh, foreigners who did that have gone home uh, for various reasons, Brexit amongst them. Uh, is there a need for a new training scheme to try and could, could the government put money into something like that to try and provide the right sort of staff? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. We do have two challenges. Some of our skilled workers went home. We know that 85% are returning from furlough, but of that 15% where we've got shortages, there are some foreign workers who went home during the pandemic and have decided to remain abroad, or there's others that are stuck with travel restrictions. And we've also got disrupted schooling and education. So our vocational training programmes and our vocational education that was coming through in 16 to 18-year-olds, we've heard a lot about disrupted GCSEs and A-levels, but equally our, our, our apprenticeships, 
Um, our NVQs, our catering colleges have been disrupted for 18 months too. And so we don't have that pipeline of talent coming through that, are, that have been trained to be chefs that would normally move straight in. Um, so I think what we could do is to see some greater flexibility from the government. We've been paying, even though we haven't been work, uh, operating and we haven't been generating revenue, our businesses have been paying into the apprenticeship levy. So there's about a billion pounds that's been paid in to that training fund, which is to fund that training, which the businesses haven't been able to use and which is in danger of running out and returning to the Treasury. So we would ask the government to give us greater flexibility in the use of that money that we've paid in over the last 18 months, allow us to use that to upskill and train people. Because we can take people from, from young ages right the way through to old, no skills, semi-skilled, fully skilled and retrain them into hospitality jobs that are available locally. So if we had that flexibility around that, that levy pot, we would be able to do that. I hate to mention the, the B word, but how? what's your assessment of, of, of Brexit all these years on? Has it been as bad for the industry as you predicted? Well, I think COVID has masked a lot of the Brexit effect, and we're only seeing that now as we start to unwind furlough, we start to unwind the supply chain restrictions, we start to reopen. Um, uh, undoubtedly, Brexit has caused a major challenge for us in terms of immigration, and it's fueling a lot of the labour shortages. We know about 1.3 billion, uh, 1.3 million, sorry, EU workers have, have returned home. 750,000 of those in London, which is why you've got acute labour shortages in London. Uh, so that has been as challenging as we anticipated it would be. We didn't expect as many to leave, but clearly we would normally see a large number coming in. And we yeah. do have restrictions there and, and, and that, are, that can't come into the UK to work because of travel restrictions and COVID. So it's much more COVID than it is Brexit, which is fueling that. And we're only now seeing the impact through cost price inflation of the Brexit restrictions on, on imports of food products and other goods that are coming through. We're seeing higher costs. We're seeing higher costs of, of distribution. Uh, about 70% of our food is imported, so that is starting to flow through. We won't see the full effects of that until October this year when some of the, the changes on imports and, and exports take full effect um, and we get the, the um, sector fully open and, and uh, firing on all cylinders. Kate, let's look over the abyss. If June the 21st isn't what you hope it will be, how damaged will your industry be? It will be absolutely catastrophic. That 21st of June date is mission critical. Um, the date itself is important because from the 1st of July, all the government support for hospitality falls away. So from the 1st of July, those businesses have to pay their business rates bills, which are a significant tax. The furlough costs, increase exponentially um, and they have to start paying much more towards their, their labour costs um, and if they haven't had the restrictions lifted they know that they are not going to be breaking even. At the moment the best our businesses are doing is 60% of normal revenue levels. They need 75% to get to break even so they aren't going to be able to pick up the costs of, of furlough or pick up the costs of tax unless we get those restrictions lifted. So the date is important because of the support package that sits alongside it. Um, but it's not sustainable in the long term for these businesses to be trading with those heavy restrictions, bearing those continued losses. The industry now has lost £280 billion million pounds a week um, throughout the closure period. We are a third the size that we were when we went into this crisis. It's just not sustainable to leave these businesses in suspended animation. And as I say, a quarter of them haven't yet opened. So those are the ones that are most at risk the longer these restrictions last, that they will simply run out of cash and run out of road. And we know that there's about a million jobs that are, are still supported by furlough and at reduced trading levels, which again will be at risk if that 
those restrictions last longer. So if the 21st of June doesn't happen, imperative that we have government support stepping in to, to fill that gap to keep those businesses on life support so that we don't waste the investment that's been made over the last 15 months. Kate Nichols, Chief Executive of UGAS Party, thank you so much for joining us today. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.